Welcome to Be Bold America. I'm your host, Jill Cody, along with my co-host, Dr. Pettis Perry. Hey, Pettis, how's the first day of summer there in Bellingham, Washington? It's absolutely gorgeous today. Uh, I can't believe how beautiful it is. Uh, I hope things are beautiful down there in your neck of the woods. It has. It's been a bit foggy on the coast here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that. We get the good weather this time. Yay. One time out of how many? (laughs) Okay, okay. Let's not go there. (laughs) Our program today is Freedom and Liberty for All. What does it really mean? We hear many say that it's their freedom to not wear a mask. Is that really freedom in the American and liberal democracy sense of the word? Or is it a choice or even selfishness? We invited our guest today to discuss the complicated topic, and because Americans haven't had a really good discussion about what freedom and liberty is in this country. And it's time we do, since losing it is on the horizon. Our future depends on it. Our interview guest today is Dr. Thomas Maine. Dr. Maine is the author of The Rise of Illiberalism, forthcoming from Brookings Institution Press. He, too, is author of The Rise of the Alt-Right, also from Brookings. He's a professor at the Marx School of Public and International Affairs at Baruch College at City University, New York. He is also a student of the American Constitution and of urban politics. Welcome to Be Bold America, Dr. Maine, and happy Father's Day. Uh, Hi there, Jill, and uh, I am having a great Father's Day here in... um, uh, lovely Jersey City. How's your weather out there? Uh, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> a little too warm for my taste. <laughs> well, we're all over the map here on this uh, conversation. I'm calling in on phone. I hope I sound okay. You're in New York, and Pettis is in Bellingham, Washington. So technology's wonderful. <laughs> yes. Now, uh, I'm just adjusting my volume here. Yeah. Can you still hear me? I can, yes. Oh. You sound good. I'm okay, having a little trouble with my volume. Do you hear me now? Yes, we do. We hear you. Uh, okay. Um, okay. Dr. Maine, I've been giving a lot of thought regarding what freedom and liberty means, and while doing so, I remembered what Victor Frankl related in his short but powerful book, Man's Search for Meaning. And... Dr. Frankel was imprisoned in a Nazi concentration camp. He had horrible medical experiments done to his body. And what he learned was that his Nazi captors had more liberty than he because they were able to come and go, but that he had more freedom than they did. He realized with being in the camp and those medical experiments that, he, that they implemented on him that they couldn't get him his who-ness, his being, his thoughts. He said that they, they had less freedom, having been forced to capitulate to or actually believed in the Nazi destructive ideology. I think of this when I hear someone say it's my freedom not to wear a mask because they're really demonstrating their loss of free thought to an ideology, in my view, and they're not really being free. So before I get into ask you what freedom and liberty really means in a liberal democracy do you have any thoughts about selling out our freedom of thought to a harmful and destructive ideology well it it's certainly 
true that you always have an inner freedom, uh, even even when you're a prisoner. Um, uh, however, when we talk about liberty and freedom in a political sense, uh, typically we mean more than that. If, if you're st- strapped down to a table and being tortured, you, you might have an inner freedom in that you can make up your own mind. Uh, but you know, I don't think anybody would say you're, that, you're, that you're at liberty. Um, and I think the author you're mentioning was focusing correctly on his inner freedom. But I think I would I would be inclined to say that, nonetheless, he was uh, uh, not experiencing freedom and liberty in the full sense. Right, and then and the, I guess the. The analogy I'm trying to make is there are a lot of Trump supporters that I don't think are free in the political sense either by making decisions, um, uh, being in the Trump cult or, or following an ideology that is destructive. But um, uh, but I totally understand it's freedom of thought. But what, you know, so freedom and liberty for all, what does it really mean, Dr. Maine, okay. in the liberal what, what democracy I- sense? What I would say is this, freedom does not mean the ability to do anything that you want to, okay? That is uh, a state of nature where you're running free and you think you can do anything you want. Now, in a situation like that, everybody is running free and doing what he or she wants to do. And they bump into each other, and they interfere with each other. Uh, so there's no real freedom in the state of nature. Um, so rational people in the state of nature will say, okay, look, we need a government. We need a government to settle disputes. We need a government to set some basic rules to keep us from bumping into each other. And so I would say uh, true freedom and liberty implies a government. You have to leave the state of nature to be free and at liberty. And then the question comes up, well, what kind of government do you want? Right. Clearly you want a government that will interfere with your ability to do what you want as little as possible. And such a government is, uh, well, the the details of it are explained in the Declaration of Independence, right? Um, We know Jefferson's famous words, right? Uh, No need to repeat them. And, And I would say the elements of government expressed in the Declaration of Independence, of independence, uh, that's uh, political equality, all men are created equal. Of course, he meant all people are created equal. Human rights, limited government, electoral democracy, the rule of law, tolerance, uh, the right to change or abolish governments. Right? Uh, that form of government is known as a liberal democracy. And, and what we want to do is exit the state of nature for liberty under a liberal democracy. And so freedom and liberty for all really mean 
having a liberal democracy, the principles and institutions of liberal democracy. And and I think the, the, the Trump supporters who say things, Trump supporters and others, who say things like, I should be at liberty not to wear a mask are simply confusing the idea that they're thinking that freedom and liberty means the right to do whatever the heck I want to. <laughs> yes, I think, you know, what's interesting, and I might be digressing just a second here, but I looked up today the definition of the word freedom, and... <laughs> You know, it's almost um, not surprising that people would think freedom means selfishness, because the first definition is, quote, the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. That, to me, is an attitude of I can do anything I want without restrictions, and that equals selfishness. I found the definition of freedom very... um, Lacking, actually, in the dictionary. Yeah, well, um, I, I, I would say it's it, it doesn't deal with the political mm. problems that you face when you try to exercise freedom in that sense of doing whatever you want to do. Because, mm-hmm. because the problem is man, human beings, are social animals. They uh, live amongst other uh, people. And so if everybody now exercises uh, the maximum amount of doing what he or she wants to do, they're going to bump into each other. And the result is going to be uh, perhaps a a war of all against all or a situation not much better than that. So I think the problem with that definition is it's it's only talking about freedom for an isolated individual outside of society, but that's not how people live. That's the problem with that definition. Oh, that's very enlightening. So what do you think is the main threat to freedom and liberty today? Well, uh, since I think freedom and liberty is all about living under a liberal democracy with the liberal democratic principles and institutions described in the Declaration of Independence, I would say that the main threat to freedom and liberty today is um, the attack on liberal democracy. Liberal democracy is in retreat. Um, The number of democracies in the world, as recognized by Freedom House, which is a a not-for-profit organization, that monitors the state of freedom, they have found the number of democracies in the world has declined since the turn of the millennium. And also, uh, if you look at the spread of illiberal ideologies, and, and by the way, what do I mean by an ideology? I mean any set, fairly consistent set uh, of ideas about politics, okay? And I would say illiberalism is any political ideology that rejects one or more of the tenets of liberal democracy. And um, those, those illiberal ideologies are on the rise 
in American political culture? Well, um, uh, Pettis, did you want to jump in here? I don't want to leave you out. <laughs> oh, I don't feel left out, but thank you oh, very much. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Dr. May. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out on your Father's Day to join us. Um, you talked about illiberalism being on the rise. Can you give us some evidence that it's on the rise? You know, are there public sure. opinion polls show it? Where are yes. you getting this evidence? Okay. Let me talk about public opinion polls, and then I'll talk about my own research. The University of Virginia um, has a center of politics that's run by uh, Larry Sabato, who's a very distinguished political scientist. Okay. So the uh, center um, sponsored a public opinion poll, right? Uh, and it asked people about uh, their attitudes towards race and also their attitudes about uh, various sorts of ideologies. All right. So hold on to your hat. This survey found that 4% of the American adult population expressed support for neo-Nazism. Okay. What? 8% expressed support for white nationalism, 6% expressed support for the alt-right. Now, now, think about this. 4% of the population expressing support for neo-Nazism, which is about as radical an anti-liberal position as you can imagine. Okay, so there are 250 million adult Americans in the country. 4% which is the smallest percentage expressing support for an illiberal ideology, 4% of the U.S. adult population is 10 million people. That's, That's larger than the size of New York City. It's larger than the population of 43 states. It's also relevant, here's a relevant point, much larger than the Jewish population, which represents only about 4% of the, of the population. So, so th there you have uh, extraordinary uh, expression of support for neo-Nazism. Uh, and also there, there was a poll done by um, NPR, sponsored by NPR. And uh, this poll found that um, – well, let me, let me ask you this question. What percentage – Yes, Maine. Um, I need to take a break, so hold on to that. Hold okay. on to that next point. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. Listen globally online from the KSQD.org website. If you have any ideas for the show, you may reach Pettis or me by emailing info at KSQD.org. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Hello, K-Squid listeners. I'm Todd Hartman, and each weekday at 4 p.m., I bring you a different perspective on the news than you're likely to hear on most media outlets. Please join me on KSQD Santa Cruz, your ink spot on the dial for the Tom Hartman program. Heard now for the first time ever in the Monterey Bay area at 90.7 FM, weekdays at 4 p.m. That's progressive talking conversation with me, Tom Hartman, weekdays at 4 p.m. on KSQD 90.7 FM. Tag, you're it.
Now, back to our bold and impressive guest, Dr. Thomas Maine. Dr. Maine is a professor at the Mark School of Public and International Affairs at Baruch College at City University, New York, and is the author of the forthcoming book, The Rise of Illiberalism. Our topic is freedom and liberty for all. What does it really mean? I'm sorry I had to interrupt there, Dr. Maine, so continue. Quite all right. Here's a question. What percentage of the American population express support for the proposition that a group of Satan-worshipping elites who run a child sex ring are trying to control our politics and media? Take a guess, Jill. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I hope it's less than 1%. <laughs> uh, I, I, I hope, too. And I would light a candle to make that true. But it turns out 17% believe that claim. 16? And 30, 17. 17. Sweet 17. So 17% believe that. And 37% said they didn't know. That's 54% of the American population expressing some level of support for this crazy idea. Now, where does this crazy idea come from? It comes from QAnon, which is a form of illiberalism. By, by the way, conspiracy theories, the idea that there is a tiny nefarious elite that controls our pop that, that's an anti right? Oh, we're having some sound problems, Dr. Maine. Um, okay. You're cutting out. Um, I'm hoping your headphone is connected. Or... My, my headphone seems to be okay. Can okay. you hear me now? I can, I can now, yes. Yeah. Okay. Anyhow, the, the thing I was saying is a conspiracy theory like QAnon, which says there's this tiny elite that rules not only our whole country, but history and directs history in a certain way for its own advantage, that's inherently anti-democratic. Because why is that? Because it implies there's this tiny elite which controls everything, which, by the way, is unrealistic. History is, in fact, made by many groups struggling for power, and no one group ever directs history as a whole. But anyhow, if there's one small group that directs everything to their advantage, they are in effect at war with us. And if politics is war, then there's no room for democracy. So this belief in this crude uh, conspiracy theory, which is QAnon, and by the way, QAnon is, is based on the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which was a uh, conspiracy theory circulated by Tsarist Russia. Anyhow, the point is this. If 17% of the population believe this absurd conspiracy theory, that means that 17% of the population is buying into a highly illiberal political ideology. Mm. Pettis? Yeah, that's scary. Uh, when you think about it, 
it really uh, shows how much work we have cut out for us. Uh, Dr. May, let me ask you, I understand yes. that you've looked at the audience size for illiberal web outlets. Yes. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. Um, well, in 2016, okay, uh, I, I just finished one book. I wanted to start another book. And then Donald Trump appointed Steve Bannon, who is the editor of uh, Breitbart News, which is a uh, online news and political magazine. Donald Trump appoints uh, Steve Bannon as his um, campaign manager. And then when Trump is elected, he Bannon becomes a White House counselor, and he even gets a seat on the National Security Council. Right. So when Bannon is picked by Trump, uh, Mother Jones Political Magazine does an interview with Bannon. And Bannon says his pu publication, Breitbart, is the platform of the alt-right. So I thought to myself, heck, I'm a political scientist. I never heard of the alt-right before. So I started doing some research and I discovered many people saying that the alt-right was very dangerous, uh, very extremist. And, and Hillary Clinton made a famous speech where she attacked uh, Steve Bannon, uh, Donald Trump, and the alt-right. So I decided, okay, somebody has to go out and figure out whether the alt-right is a tiny fringe movement, which doesn't matter, or whether it's substantial enough to worry about. So I could go into a long discussion of what I did, but, but basically, I found an organization. It's called Media Bias Fact Check. And what this organization does is it takes political websites and organizes them into ideological categories. So it classifies hundreds of websites as left, center-left, center, center-right, and right. And then they also had a category called conspiracy questionable for sites that trafficked in uh, conspiracy theories and fake news. And then I did research and uh, I found as many um, alt-right and other right-wing illiberal sites as I could. Right? And there are various sources I consulted to decide which sites were really uh, right-wing extremist. And, and I did the same, same thing on the left wing, right? So, for example, um, uh, let's see, on the liberal left, you know, th there were uh, websites of places like the Revolutionary, Revolutionary Communist Party. Um, and then on the left, you have things like the National Review. On the right, you have, oh, no, excuse me, the, the, uh, the National Review is right. But, but the point is this. So now I had hundreds of magazines 
okay, arranged into categories from the extreme left to the extreme right. right? And when I say extreme, I mean illiberal. I'm talking about, on the right, neo-Nazi sites, alt-right sites, white supremacist sites, um, theocratic sites that wanted to replace uh, religious freedom with uh, an official church. Um, let's see, uh, what uh, secessionist sites, anti-Semitic sites, all that's on the illiberal right. And then on the illiberal left, you had anarchists and communists and so forth. Okay, so anyhow, um, I, I eventually found, and this was the important category, 215 right-wing illiberal uh, websites. So the question then is, how many people uh, visited these uh, right-wing illiberal sites? And how many people visited the other sites? Because I needed to compare how large the right-wing illiberal sites were to the other sites. So all this making sense so far? Yes, it does. Okay. So now, let me see what I came up with. Um, I'm, look, I'm just checking some of my numbers here. Oh, yes. Uh, right-wing illiberal sites. Now, now, again, these are very uh, extremist sites, neo-Nazi, racist, anti-Semitic, and so forth. Okay. And, and by the way, I, what I did is I purchased data that showed how many people visited these sites each month. Okay, or rather, how many how many visits there were to each site, and how many unique visitors there were. Okay, so if one person goes to a site five times in a month, that's one unique visitor and five visits. Okay, so um, the illiberal right wing sites, the neo Nazi sites, and such, the alt right sites. Um, And the year I looked at was 2019. They received on monthly average about 186 million visits on monthly average. Wow. Okay. Now, that sounds like a lot, but is it a lot? Well, think about this. If you look at the left-wing illiberal sites, these are like the Communist Party sites, anarchist sites, many Antifa sites, they receive um, 2.5 million visits a month. Okay, so now think about this. If you listen to Fox News, you will get the impression that communists and extreme left-wingers, left-wing radicals, you will get the impression that they are a huge group of people. The fact of the matter is the audience for the um, illiberal left sites is about 1.3%, not even 2%, the size of the audience for the illiberal right sites. And also think about this. The illiberal right sites 
and again, I have to emphasize that these are extremely radical sites. We'll get into their content in a moment. Um, the illiberal right-wing sites are about one-third the size, their audience is about one-third the size of the audience for the standard democratic conservative sites. That's extraordinary. Neo-Nazi type sites, extremist sites, misogynist sites, white supremacist sites, alt-right sites, their audience is about one-third of the size as the audience for conventional national review type conservatism. That's an extraordinarily large audience. Wow. Wow. Well, I do need to break again, Dr. Main. Just everyone hold that thought. Okay. <laughs> You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. In addition, if you'd like to be added to our news group, you may text Be Bold America to 22828. Text Be Bold America to 22828. I'm your host, Jill Cody. There goes the last DJ. Oh, honey, you turn me on. I'm the radio. Because when you can't find a friend, you still got the radio. As long as there's a radio to listen to it on, K-Squid will always be your friend on the dial. 90.7 FM. Many voices, one station. K-Squid. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Dr. Thomas Main, and our topic is freedom and liberty for all. What does it really mean? Dr. Main's research interests are in liberal democracy and its challenges, bureaucracy and public administration, urban politics, homelessness, and the American Constitution and our country's founding. He's also the author of The Rise of the Alt-Right and The Rise in Liberalism, forthcoming from Brookings Institution. So, Dr. Main, you were giving us some powerful data there. I hope every uh, I hope everyone followed. Uh, back to you, Dr. Main. Okay. Well, look. So, I've demonstrated that the audience for um, right wing extremist, what I call right wing illiberal sites, is significant. It's much larger than the audience for the radical left. The, the radical left, at least online, doesn't exist. It's a t tiny, tiny, it's, it's not even an island. It's like a sandbar, okay? So the, the main threat to liberal democracy, ideologies that reject liberal democracy are entirely found on the right these days, which is something different from when I was a boy, I remember genuine student radicals like the SDS and the Weathermen who were Guvarists, Maoists, Stalinists. They don't exist anymore. Okay. So um, let's, let's talk about the content of these uh, right-wing illiberal sites. How could you sum up what their ideology is? Okay. 
you can sum it up in a phrase. The, the illiberal right wing, the extremist right wing, denies that all people are created equal. Right. So let me give you an example. Uh, one of the longest standing and um, best known uh, amongst illiberal, best known uh, right-wing illiberal sites, alt-right sites, is called American Renaissance. Let me, let me quote from them what they have to say about the Declaration of Independence. Um, one of their authors says, dig this, no phrase and history has done more harm than all men are created equal. Right? Here's another one, okay, also from an American Renaissance author. We ought to laugh out of town every goofball who claims the declaration proves everyone is equal to everyone else. It's a form of insanity. Okay, so I can pick quotes like that by the yard, okay? And this is a perhaps the most radical rejection of Jeffersonian democracy, which is the essence of liberal democracy, coming straight out and saying, hey, we reject the, either, the idea that all people are created equal that's as radical as it gets. Wow. Now, well, uh, let, let me, allow me to point out one thing. It needs to be understood. Everyone understands that when we say all people are created equal, we don't mean all people are equally strong, equally fast, equally good, equally intelligent. Jefferson meant we are equal in terms of having the same rights to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So we are all politically equal, even though we're different in many different ways. So when the alt-right and other groups step forward and say not all people are created equal, what they mean is some people are not our political equals. And I'll give you one guess who those people, those unequal people, who are they? They're black people, they're Jews, they're women, they're immigrants. And, poor and people. S- poor people, yes. Well, well, you know, it's very interesting. <laughs> I went to one site which talked about th- the limitations of electoral democracy. Okay, And b- by the way, that's something else that illiberals reject. They say specifically, let me, let me, I just want to take a look at something here. Um, I'm not in favor of electoral democracy. I don't believe tallying up votes is the best way to make a decision. I don't believe that. I'm not going to lie to you and say that we can just poll every human being with a pulse, and that is going to lead us to the right or sound answer. Now, that was the editor of an alt-right website called Radix Journal. And so you have a direct attack 
not only on political equality, but also on uh, electoral democracy. Now, it's very interesting. I came across uh, an article in another alt-right magazine, which said, well, if we're going to have democracy, why don't we limit the vote to people who make at least $100,000 a year? <laughs> so, so, Jill, as you say, these people don't accept, not only do they not accept poor people as equal, they don't accept the middle class or even the upper middle class as equal. Well, there's been a lot of years trying to destroy the middle class, too, so that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true, too. That's true, it's too. It's also right. manifesting in all of the moves to uh, limit the vote that we're seeing today. Yeah. This is where now, you make an excellent point, Pettis. Okay. Now, I could describe to you and quote to you over and over again many statements such as these, right? But maybe somebody will say, well, yes, yes, uh, there are these magazines and lots of people read them. Maybe millions of people read them. Um, but who cares? Because it's all just ideas. It's all just talk. It doesn't mean anything. So the question is, okay, um, how do these ideas get expressed amongst a small well, a group of people that we, we, we have to think about what we mean by large and small, okay? The number of people who go to these illiberal right-wing sites is pretty large as compared to the audiences for other ideologies, okay? However, even if you're talking about 100 and 88 million visits per month, and that would be a much smaller number of unique visitors. Still, that's a small minority if you look at the whole American population. And as a matter of fact, the people who read political magazines are a small minority of the whole American population. Okay? Americans are notoriously uninterested in political ideas. So then the question is, what difference does it make that there are these relatively large audiences for illiberalism? And, and Pettis, you put your finger right on it. These ideas trickle down, right? And eventually have an impact on real policy, okay? And, and that's, that's, that, that's why ideas are a more important political resource than people realize. People realize votes are an important political resource. They realize money is an important political resource. And they realize force can be an important political resource. But having ideas about what to do, being able to convincingly explain what policies should be enacted, right? Being able to refute other people's arguments, okay? And being able to direct action because that's what ideas do. They direct our actions, right? So the point is ideas are a, a political resource, maybe not the most important, 
but they can be decisive. So what happens is these extreme ideas get expressed in their pure form amongst a relatively small group of people. And then they start to get picked up, not not by intellectuals anymore, but by uh, policy entrepreneurs. These are these are people who try to sell Washington and lawmakers on policies. And from from them, from the uh, policy entrepreneurs, uh, uh, professional uh, politicians looking for something to say. Right? You need to have something to say to attract media attention. Right? So the, these politicians latch on to. Slightly less radical versions of these ideas. And so, Pettis, you're absolutely correct. These ideas expressed very radically in alt right and neo Nazi and white supremacist sites, these boil down and enter into the roots of politics, and they eventually have an impact in the form of um, uh, vote suppression. Yeah, we don't live in a vacuum. And uh, when you have a group of people who associate themselves with the ideologies, and, and we'll talk about either ends of the extreme, then I think we lose the ability to have a true democracy, which really functions best when you're talking about the middle. So these yeah. these other these other ways of uh, illiberalism are really destructive to democracy. Yes, yes, very consciously so. Um, I mean, I would say, I would say there is. I wouldn't talk about a vital center, but I would talk about a vital spectrum. Okay, and I think it's possible to have a democracy where you have strong conservative parties strong conservative voters and strong progressive parties and strong progressive voters. The key thing is uh, conservatives and progressives both have to buy into the legitimacy of liberal democratic political institutions, especially elections. Okay? And it used to be the case that the conservative parties, conservative movement, which was created, the modern conservative movement was created by Bill Buckley when he established the National Review in 1955. He drove out and refused to publish in the National Review uh, people from the John Birch Society, anti-Semites, Anybody who rejected democracy completely. So you had for a considerable period um, in the post-war era a conservative movement and a conservative party, which was the Republicans, uh, who were conservative. They were right-wing, but they accepted whatever else you want to say about them. They accepted liberal democracy. And so you had a functioning conservative movement up until about the turn of the a millennium. And then a number of things happened 
And slowly, uh, the extreme right-wingers who had been banished from the movement by Buckley and the National Review came roaring back and now have an audience that is close to being the same size as the conventional conservative audience. Oh, my. Well, um, time for another break. You're listening to Be Bold America on KSQD 90.7 FM. Want a friend to hear this program? Ask them to subscribe for free to their favorite podcast platform, such as Apple, Google, Spotify, and all the others, to hear every one of our shows, including this one. I'm your host, Jill Cody. Join KSQD Sunday evening at 9 for an hour of radio drama. Actors Theater proudly presents three winning plays from our Young Playwrights Contest. Julian Jacklin's Ocean Disaster is a sci-fi mystery romp directed by Andrew Siglio. Joyce Michelson directs Mother and Daughter by Leela Rose Roberts about a teenager struggling to get her mother to address a serious problem. And Together at Last is a fairy tale like story of a childhood friendship that lasts a lifetime, despite unthinkable circumstances. Listeners are invited to call in and discuss the plays with our young writers. Join us Sunday at 9 p.m. right after the Poetry Show here on KSquid 90.7 FM and KSQD.org. Many voices, one station. Today our topic is freedom and liberty for all. What does it really mean? And we're speaking with Dr. Thomas Maine, who is a professor in the Marx School of Public and International Affairs at Baruch College at City University, New York, and is the author of The Rise of the Alt-Right and The Rise of Illiberalism, forthcoming from Brookings Institution Press. And, Dr. Maine, I have a question for you uh, because I'm very, very concerned about Fox News, and now there are even more that are to the right of Fox News. Okay. You know, Fox News, was, it was never planned to be a news station, even though it's in its title. It was planned back, um, Roger Ailes, and presented to Nixon um, a 16-point plan on how to make a right-wing propaganda TV station, yes. and then uh, Fox News never established from its beginning a Department of Ethics, which real journalistic organizations such as CNN, CNN or ABC or NBC or MSNBC, they all have Department of Ethics, but Fox News, of course, wasn't concerned about that, so, and, and people don't know um, those kind of details, but what's the role that Fox News and other highly polarizing media play in spreading this illiberalism? Okay, that's a great idea. Basically, as I discussed, you have very radical ideas being consumed by a fairly large audience, but still an audience that is small relative to the entire U.S. population. And then the question is, how can those very radical ideas seep into the majority, the mass consciousness? And if you are a television station, it's not possible to put on a talking head who says, down with democracy. By the way, I think the Declaration of Independence is a load of bunk. 
clearly you, you, you hear ideas like that in the radical outlets. You can't have them on mass market TV. So but what you can have is the rhetorical style. The rhetorical style of the extremists is not aimed at trying to convince people. Why is that? Because they believe politics is war. If politics is about election, you have to persuade people, okay? And therefore, your rhetoric is all about persuasion. But if you don't believe in democracy, the alternative democracy to find out who is going to run the country is going to be war. So war is not about persuasion, and therefore rhetoric is no longer about persuasion. It's about attacking. It's about destroying. It's about humiliating. And I'll read you a um, statement that was made by the most radical alt-right site, which is the Daily Stormer. Somebody got a hold of their editorial guide sheet for their authors. And let me read you a bit from it. The goal is to repeat the same points over and over and over and over again. To the extent possible, everything should be painted in completely black and white terms. There should be a conscious agenda to dehumanize the enemy to the point where people are ready to laugh at their deaths. And the more hyperbole, the better. Now, does that, what does that sound like to you? Hilarious to me. Yeah, yeah. And then this, this idea of, of rhetoric as a weapon, that get, gets picked up by people closer to the mainstream. So, for example, Ann Coulter, who was also a kind of a precursor of the Fox News style of rhetoric. Here's what Ann Coulter had to say about rhetoric. Now, remember, the Daily Stormer is as extreme as you can get. Ann Coulter is closer to the mainstream with a larger audience, but she picks up the Daily Stormer uh, philosophy of rhetoric, and she says, you must outrage the enemy. If the liberal you're arguing with doesn't become speechless with sputtering, impotent rage, you're not doing it right. Nothing too extreme can be said about liberals because it's all true. Well, okay, this, we, do you see how the rhetoric of destruction and weaponization moves from the furthest extreme of the illiberal right down closer to the mainstream through Ann Coulter and finally gets picked up by Fox News. And you see in this way, by having a rhetoric that is not about persuasion, but insulting, outraging, attacking, uh, about hyperbole, about exaggeration, right? You are basically communicating the vision of illiberalism 
that politics is about war and democracy is defunct, you are conveying that vision without being explicit about it. And that basically is what Fox News is doing. Um, And they are, in effect, um, the final step in the trickle-down process by which illiberal, right-wing, illiberal ideas soak into uh, American political culture. And it raises money. Uh, yes. Fox News and uh, keeping the eyeballs and the ratings, and it raises money for these these organizations. So um, what can we do about the rise of illiberalism? Okay. Uh, I'll tell you what we do. What we need more than anything right now. And we have, uh, Dr. Main, we have about three minutes left. So okay. We uh, just, need. Uh, yes, go ahead. A, an overwhelming realigning presidential election on the level of 1932, which brought in Roosevelt and the New Deal, or 1964, which brought in Johnson and the war on poverty. Okay, P- Many people thought we would get that realigning election in 2020. We didn't get it. We need to build towards that. And we need to do that in two ways. We need to support people like Stacey Abrams, who turn red states blue by mobilizing people of color uh, and poor people. Okay, we need to do that. But we also need to bring in conservatives, moderates, and all people of goodwill into an alliance. This is an alliance that's going to have to get behind the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party, capital D, is the only Democratic, small d, alternative to the Republicans right now. It's all shoulders to the wheel for a realigning election that will bring a Democratic Party into control of the government. And then we need... um, structural reform uh, that will make it possible for government to be more effective at answering the legitimate grievances of people who are driven to vote for Trump. We got to end the filibuster. We got to end the electoral college. We got to make the Senate more representative. And we got to make it easier to change the Constitution so that positive government action is possible. So quickly, you know, we like to ask our guests what our listeners could stop doing, uh, start doing, uh, keep doing. Do you have some ideas there in the sure. last sure. minute? First, uh-huh. first thing, stop complaining about Senator Manchin and the obstructionist Senate. There's only one way to deal with them. Go out there right, and organize and elect more people who are willing to change the system to Congress so that people like Manchin and the Republicans are not so so important. Stop complaining, start organizing, and keep paying attention, keep reading, keep listening, keep thinking, and especially keep listening to Jill Cody's radio show. (laughs) Thank you so much, Dr. Maine. Uh, Thank you so much. 
I want to thank the Bold America's program engineer, Emily Donham, and our program director, Howard Zeldstein. And give a huge thank you to our bold and impressive guest, Dr. Thomas Maine. And Dr. Maine, happy Father's Day again. Thanks so much, Jill. On Sunday, July 18th, on Be Bold America, our topic will be One Race, the Human Race. Pettis and I will have the honor to be speaking with the fiery and brilliant Dr. Jane Elliott. Dr. Elliott is an internationally known teacher, lecturer, and diversity trainer. You may know of Dr. Elliott's elementary school class Blue Eye and Brown Eye exercise in 1968 and its shocking and controversial results. Jane's life has been dedicated, and she is extremely impatient about, about it, to exposing prejudice and bigotry for what it is, an irrational class system based upon purely arbitrary factors. And she says, if you think this does not apply to you, you are in for a rude awakening. So if you're brave enough, please join me and my co-host, Pettis Perry, for this awakening on Sunday, July 18th at 5 p.m. You're listening to KSQD Santa Cruz. Many voices, one station. Listen worldwide online at ksqd.org. Stay tuned for Reflections on Buddhism. My name is Jill Cody. And I'm Dr. Pettis Perry. And thank you for listening to Be Bold America. Until next time, keep, stop, start. <laughs>